Hey there, welcome to the Rim Church Podcast. We're so glad you found us. The Rim Church is based in San Antonio, Texas, and we believe in loving Jesus, building family, and changing the world. Wherever you find yourself today, we trust that it is not by accident that you're listening to this message, and we believe that God has something to speak to you right where you are. For more information on what we're all about, go ahead and visit us at therim.church or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. We hope you enjoy the message. Happy Christmas Eve. It's my personal, this is just because I watch a lot of uh, English football, soccer, so I, I listen to podcasts with people with accents, and it's my personal mission to introduce Happy Christmas, not just Merry Christmas. I just like the way it sounds better. So Happy Christmas Eve. How's everybody feeling about Christmas tomorrow? I see we got some uh, new faces. We've got family here today. If you're, if you're uh, not typically with us on a Sunday, but someone brought you here, would you just raise your hand just so we can see? Let's put our hands together for family that's in town. Thanks for being here this morning. Well, I'm excited to open up God's Word together today. My name is Austin Johnson, if we had not had a chance to meet yet, and I'm one of the pastors here at the Rim, and I'm really excited because we are celebrating Christmas together, and it's an amazing time of year. If you have a copy of your scripture, we'll be in a couple different places together this morning, but I'd love to invite you. We're going to start in the book of John, chapter 1. John chapter 1, we'll start with verses 1 through 5, and then we'll jump down to verses 10 through 14. Everybody there with me? Good? Here we go. In the beginning was the Word. The Word here is Jesus, just so we're on the same page, right? So in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So just as we think about the Christmas season... Jesus being born, Jesus was always God. He stepped into becoming man, okay? So just so we're, we're all tracking on the same page, Jesus has always been eternity past. He steps into humanity, okay? So in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him, and apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created in Him was life. And that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. Jump down to verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name, who are born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is why we celebrate today. This is what makes Christmas what it is. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace 
and truth. So in this passage, we see this is who Jesus is. He is the word. He's always been God, always was. But he steps into humanity, into flesh. Turn with me over to Hebrews chapter 1. Is it okay if we flip around a little bit this morning? That's good. Thank you. So who he is, he is God. We also see in in John chapter 1 that Jesus came in a way that was somewhat unexpected. His own people rejected him. They didn't recognize him. So he's always been God. God becomes a man. He puts on flesh. He came in a way that was not expected. He came We'll see in a little bit. He came lowly. He came humbly. He came as a baby. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by prophets at different times and in different ways. That is to say, that's, we call that the Old Testament. God speaking to us through prophets in different times and different ways. Which just interesting, totally an aside, what we call the Old Testament for Jesus and the apostles was just the Bible. That's all they had. So it's not something that's just in the past. This is something that's important for us to know because we look at Jesus, a lot of what he did, everything that he did was a fulfillment of what was prophesied about him in the Old Testament. So long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. Everybody say, by his son. One more time, by his son. God appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. He has spoken to us by his son. Now, that word by is really important. Not just does God speak through Jesus. Jesus is the word of God made flesh. By his son, not just what Jesus says, but Jesus' very being is a declaration from God, is a revelation from God. He's spoken to us by his son. So when you look at the life of Jesus, you look at his, his birth, you look at his life, you look at his death, his resurrection, his coming again, each of these is in and of itself a declaration and a revelation from God. Not just what Jesus says, but when we look at this Christmas time, we're celebrating that Jesus is coming. We're recognizing that in the birth of Jesus, God is saying something. He's making a statement. We don't just celebrate a baby in a manger, yes, but it's the answer to a story that's been going on for hundreds and thousands of years, and God is saying something when Jesus shows up. Everybody tracking with me so far? Those are only a couple people. If not, we can keep going. We doing okay? Thank you. You can tell me. We, we can slow down. Now let's read Luke chapter 2. This is actually the Christmas story. I told you we'll flip around a little bit this morning. So John chapter 1, we see who he is. He's the Word. He is God. In Hebrews 1, we see that God speaks to us by his son, by his showing up. In Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, this is where we see actually how he comes, 
how he came. And if God speaks to us by his son, even the way that he came is a word from God. He's revealing something to us. Does this make sense so far? Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. This is what it says. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinus was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Bethlehem literally means house of bread. House of bread. Because he was of the house and the family line of David. He was to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And this season, I understand this way more than I have in the past. My wife and I are 30 days away, supposedly, from having our first kid. It's exciting stuff. So while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So Jesus, who is the Word, who created all things, both in heaven and on earth. All things were created by him, through him, and for him. He is the eternal one, God, who has wrapped himself in flesh, comes as a baby. As a baby, you're, you're, you're defenseless, you're innocent, you're lowly. There's humility here. You think the one who created all of us, if you were to pick a way for him to come, if I had created the whole world, I probably would not have come as a baby. I would have come in power and glory, revealing all of who I am, but he comes as a baby because he's revealing something about who he is. Even how he comes reveals to us who he is, what he invites us into. It's really important that we see in Luke 2, that they go to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. I said that's, that's called the house, that literally means house of bread, but that word Joseph was of the lineage of David. You might remember King David, the Old Testament. So King David is really important because God makes a promise to David in the Old Testament that one day he, one of his descendants is going to come and sit on the throne forever. And one of his descendants is going to have an everlasting kingdom. That he was going to come to rule and to reign. So it's really important that Jesus is born in the city of David, making their connection to he is the one that was prophesied about. So remember, he's spoken to us by his son. How he comes, but also where he came. Jesus could have been born anywhere. But he was purposely born in the city, in the house of David. He came as the one that God promised King David. 
Jeremiah 23, 5 says this. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, and I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. How Jesus comes reveals something to us about who God is, but even what God is up to. Jesus coming in the city of David is the answer to the promise of King David, but it's saying the king is here. The king that was promised and that was prophesied about is here. So typically as we think about this in this Christmas season, and, and it's not wrong, but Jesus has come to rescue us, save us from our sins. That's, that's kind of the, the mantra, and that is 1,000% true. That is part of his, his rescue mission. Kelly's been using the language of Jesus came and he, he dropped behind enemy lines. And he's, he's here to do this daring rescue mission. And that is 100% true. And Jesus doesn't just come as a savior. He came as a king. That's why he's born in the city of David. He could have been born anywhere if he's just going to be the, the savior. But he came to fulfill what was promised to the prophets of old. So when we think about Jesus coming, Jesus was coming not just to rescue us spiritually. He was coming to establish his kingdom. That the incarnation, the birth of Jesus, is the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. Not just spiritually, there's a component there, but Jesus, the word, actually became flesh. He actually dwelt among us. So his kingdom is actually coming. I heard this from uh, author Samuel Whitefield. He says, Jesus did not just come to save individuals from sin. We read this in Isaiah 9. He came to begin the process of establishing a completely new order, a radical new government that would restore God's creation and enable it to fulfill the purpose for which he created it. Jesus coming and living and dwelling in us shows us that he is not just a spiritual king. He is a real king who's coming back with a real kingdom. The good news we think about, well, Jesus, we want you to come back and you could have just come back and set all things right. Why didn't you just come and when you came the first time, establish the fullness of your kingdom, which now we pray for and we long for? When we think about when Jesus, the fullness of his kingdom comes, his kingdom is pure. It's righteous. It's everything good. It's everything right. It's everything perfect. If Jesus had first come to fully establish his kingdom, there would have been no provision for us in our sin. The kingdoms of this world are going to be totally level, but Jesus comes, he wraps himself in human flesh to draw to himself a people that can enjoy his coming kingdom. Is this making sense? If his kingdom had first come and he fully established it, none of us would have been able to enjoy it. 
Because when he comes again, he is coming to fully establish his kingdom, to set everything right. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be perfect. So he's come as a real king. He's born in the city of David, symbolizing that he is the king that was prophesied of of old. His incarnation is an inbreaking of God's mercy and grace to call people to salvation and prepare a people for the future coming of a real kingdom, not just a spiritual one. I think we have a tendency, and again, it's, part, part of it is, is correct, but especially when it comes to Christmas, and there's a Christmas magic, right? Uh, we got kids in the room, so I guess I, I, I was going to talk about a certain someone, but we won't talk about a certain someone, if you know who I'm talking about. Uh, but there's magic in Christmas, yes? There's kind of the spirit of Christmas. There's a way that we sometimes can spiritualize the holiday season so much that it's just kind of this ethereal thing. So we're grateful for what Jesus has done, Jesus in the, in the baby in the manger and the Christmas trees and presents and reindeer. There's this magical spiritual component that we forget that Jesus actually showed up and he came. It's not just a story that we tell ourselves that helps us get into this positive mindset of peace, of joy, tranquility. Jesus actually came. The word actually became flesh. He put on flesh. He's come to rescue and redeem us, and he's come to establish his kingdom. But he came, this is in He came in a manner that was somewhat unexpected, but not less than what had been promised about him. Jesus did not come to rewrite the Old Testament. Jesus came to fulfill it. Now, the promises that he, he, he fulfills, it's more than what people may have expected, but it's most certainly not less. He didn't come to rewrite the book. He came to fulfill it and show us what does it actually mean and that he's coming to establish his kingdom. So in this Christmas season, the hope is that we would not look on the sleeping baby in a manger and find ourselves being lulled to sleep. He did not come as anticipated. When he comes again, if we're not careful, we may not recognize him as he comes because we've been lulled to sleep by the baby in the manger. He is coming again as fullness in the fullness of his kingdom, his beauty, his good news, his justice. So we celebrate this Christmas season, this communion, that our king has come. Amen? And he's coming again. And this is the beginning of, not even the beginning, it's a continuation of a story that Jesus has come to fulfill what was promised about him, and there are still promises that are yet to be fulfilled, that will fully be fulfilled in his coming again. So what happens as we look at this baby? Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. We read this a couple weeks ago, but... 
I want to read it again. I think it's such a beautiful picture and an invitation to us as we think about God speaking to us by His Son as He came, the very way that He came, where He came, how He came. Philippians chapter 2, let's start in verse 5 together. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself, coming at, I don't know how much more humbling it can be than to come as a baby. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, what reason? That he has humbled himself, that he has come, that he became obedient to the point of death. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. He came to bring the inbreaking of God's kingdom, to invite us into a life with him, to walk with him, to rescue a people for himself, and to prepare a people for his future coming. And when he comes again, he will be totally exalted. He's already exalted sitting on the throne now, but he will come again and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. So as we think about the, this Christmas season, there is an awe and there is a wonder. You think about, why do we celebrate Christmas every year? A, we like presents. Yes? Anybody like presents? Yes? Only a couple of you guys. Good thing, because I, I didn't buy any of you guys gifts. So, just, just kidding. I, I, that is sad, isn't it? But as we think about this season... This season is meant to point us to another season. It's meant to point us to something beyond this season. There is an awe and a wonder and an amazement that the Word became flesh and He dwelt among us. That God has come. Jesus has come. And as we think about this season, we have to make sure that we... We don't stay in this season because he didn't stay a baby. The baby grew up. He learned obedience to the Father, obedience even to the point of death, death on a cross. To be awed and amazed with the baby in the manger and to not follow him to the cross is not Christianity. It's not following Jesus. We, follow, we, we are in awe and amazement of how he came, but then we have to follow how he lived. 
We have to follow this baby who would become a man who would die and would come back to life and promise that he's coming again. Jesus came as a real king. He is a real king now, and we've been called to recognize him not just as a spiritual king, but he is the king, and he is coming back again. And this king, Jesus, would give us an invitation to remember him, to remember what he's done, and to look forward to his coming kingdom. I think David, wherever David's at, you can come up and play. Give us some soft tunes. Sounds great. Sounded great at the very beginning. Cal, if you want to come pad too, that's great. I think we all like both of those things. It's on you guys though. Sorry to call you out. So this king would give us an invitation to remember him. Because ultimately Christmas, we say this, it's an it's a idiom, popular phrase, Jesus is the reason for the season. Uh, what's your, if you're in my generation, maybe that makes you cringe just a little bit. But there really is this reality that this is a time to remember that he came. The word did become flesh to live and dwell among us. To remember that he's a real king and now he's coming with a real kingdom. And we've been called to beckon and to spread the news that there is a coming kingdom. Yes, he's come to rescue us from our sins, but he's coming as king. So this invitation to remember him is this meal that we call communion, which we're going to take together this morning. This meal communion is one in which Jesus says that he will not partake in again until he comes, until his kingdom is established. So we get ready to wrap up this portion of our time together. I'd love to invite you one more scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and I'm going to read verses 12 through 34 to us. Typically, we just stick to verse 12 through 26, but I'm going to read through 34. And as we think about communion, it's another thing that we can often, and there is a very real spiritual component to this, but it is an actual physical and real way to remember Jesus and to remember that he is a real king who is coming again. So in communion, it's not just a spiritual thing that we, we do. We'll read why we take communion, but there's also this reality here. Uh, before you take communion, actually examine yourself. Because it's not just a spiritual thing. Yes, but there's a very real warning of there's a real kingdom with a real king. We don't take it lightly. It's not just a spiritual thing. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 12, this is what it says. Now, in giving this instruction, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And in part, I believe it. Indeed, it is necessary that there be factions among you, so that those who are approved 
may be recognized among you. When you come together, then, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For at the meal, each one eats his own supper. So one person is hungry while another gets drunk. Don't you have homes in which to eat and drink? Do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I praise you? I don't praise you in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you on the night he was betrayed. The Lord Jesus took bread. The Lord Jesus, who was born in the house of bread, took bread. When he gave thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Verse 27, So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself in this way. Let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you, and many have fallen asleep. If we were properly judging ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be contemned with the world. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, welcome one another. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home so that when you gather together, you will not come under judgment. I will give you instructions about the other matters whenever I come. This meal we call communion is an invitation of Jesus to come, to experience, to remember that he is king and that he's coming again. And that's a real thing, not just a spiritual thing. So the warning we see here is don't eat of this in an unworthy manner. So we're going to take our traditional 120 seconds. This is how we're going to do it. We're just going to ask Jesus, what, what are you wanting me to know this morning? Maybe ask him, is there anything in your life that's out of orders or anything that would cause you to be taking this in an unworthy manner? I'm going to invite you, before we actually take communion, I want to say, if you haven't dealt with it, don't take communion. It's okay if you don't. There may be things in your life that, man, I really need to work through with some people. Because this is a real thing for us. It's, there's a spiritual component, but we want to heed the warning even of Scripture here. So in this 120 seconds, if God puts something on your heart where you need to reconcile with someone, you need to confess to someone to confess before the Lord, do that. There's freedom. There's an invitation because there's joy and there's fullness and we believe there's even healing in this meal.
after the 120 seconds, the, the team is going to lead us in worship. And during that worship, there's baskets on each of these four bases of the speakers. There's one in the uh, bleachers as well. Rebecca's going to point out where they are. And as you feel ready, as we sing, you can respond and take communion. Before you, If there's anything in your life that you feel like you need to deal with first, I want to invite you. As we celebrate Jesus coming, the inbreaking of his kingdom, as we eat this meal, we remember that his kingdom has come. And he's invited us to be partakers and participants in his coming kingdom. So Jesus, would you speak to us now? Thanks so much for listening. We hope that today's message resonated with you. It's our hope that you wouldn't be merely inspired, but that you would actually be transformed by something you heard today. At the Rim Church, we always ask two questions when processing God's word. What is God saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? We encourage you to take a moment, reflect, and then to share with a friend or send us a message. We'd love to hear what God is teaching you and how we can help you take your next step in obedience. Until we meet again, we love you, church.